Fires burning up the West Coast. A global pandemic with very little end in sight. Continued brutal systemic racism with virtually no important political leader willing to confront it. Yep, 2020 blows. There's no other way to look at it, unless you're willing to overlook others' pain. With all of us stuck inside and isolated, many have looked towards cinema as a respite for all our current bullshit. How have these movies performed this year under these crazy circumstances, and how will the industry change? On our very first episode ever, the mediocre white film guys discuss our top five movies of 2020. Welcome to our podcast, which is called Would You Judge Us If We Started a Movie Podcast? Uh, my name is Sam Maricalio, and I will be your interim host for today's episode. Uh, on my right and below me on the Zoom screen is the beautiful Dane Holtz. Hello. And below him is a slightly less beautiful, but <laughs> equally as talented, Corey Stillman. Hello. And today for our first episode, we will be talking about our favorite movies of 2020. To start it off, uh, I'll open it up to the group to ask how we felt about movies that we've seen in 2020 so far, as well as, well as how we feel the industry is changing, uh, for better or for worse, and just our overall ideas about um, movies in general throughout this time period. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it is a really weird time in every industry, but um, I think movies have, have honestly been um, one of the more transformative uh, or one of the most impacted forms of just entertainment that we have, uh, just because their quality have stopped, you know, in 2020, whether it's the producing or even the, re the release of so many. So you've seen, uh, obviously, the rise of video on demand and things like that. And so I think a lot of the movies that we talk about today, I don't know about you guys, but um, looking now at my top five, I saw um, only only one of these movies did um, actually had a theater release out of the, out of the five that, um, or at least I saw in theaters, I should say. I think a couple of them had a smaller theater release. Um, so like, yeah, that's just that's the big thing this year is, is watching movies at home, you know, and, and watching new movies at home. Uh, and uh, to be honest, at least for me, I don't, I, we'll get into this later, but uh, I've actually found 2020 to be a surprisingly good year in movies despite the, the bizarre circumstances yeah it was definitely a weird uh transition like at the start of march whenever we all went into quarantine it was like theaters didn't know if they should close yet if they should stay open and unfortunately i know like movies i think bad boys was for life was one of them that was kind of in that weird time where it was released in theaters but everyone was supposed to stay home and then things were closing um yeah, surprisingly, I'm coming the opposite of you, Corey. Uh, three of mine I got to see in theaters. The other two were on streaming. Hmm. But yeah, definitely this seems to be pointing in more of a digital platform for major releases. I know like Disney Plus with Mulan, who knows what will happen with Black Panther, or not Black Panther, Black Widow uh, in the future. Isn't Mulan like $20 right now to watch before like December, isn't that what they're yeah. 
it's yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's like 20 bucks and then in december it's it will be free on yeah it's getting absolutely fucking torn to shreds too so I don't well and that's what's bizarre to me is i mean you know people are complaining about the price which to me the price isn't the, the issue i mean that's actually dirt cheap if you were to put like four or five people in front of a tv to watch it like you know per person it's not bad but the fact that like it's such a bizarre strategy to announce that it will be free why the fuck would you pay for it knowing you could just wait a month or two? That is, that is, that absolutely, that's, that is really bizarre. <laughs> because it's just like a mediocre, like, Disney movie, like, that no one really, yeah. really even cared, no one even asked for it to be seen made. Like, it really, what a strange strategy that's been, but. I mean, and also, I, the, all the, the, the controversy surrounding it, too, with where it was filmed and. Yeah, all of and that. it's lead actress. That's, that's wild. You know, yeah. Um, Disney Plus is just whiffed. I mean, the other big release Disney Plus had this summer was Artemis Fowl. Yeah. <laughs> um, which got terrible reviews, which got absolutely destroyed. It's actually it's one of the lowest reviewed Letterboxd movies right now. In like, yeah. In yeah. It, it, I mean, it never looked good. I was I don't know about you guys. I never really cared about those, those books growing up. So I guess it, it didn't necessarily have like the baked in nostalgia for me. But I think even those who were really excited were really let down. Mm-hmm. Not good. Not good. Um, I'm definitely... Um, I stray away from both of your your experiences in this and the fact that, like Corey, I watched all of my movies in, inside my own house. But like Dane and unlike Corey, uh, I think it's been a mediocre year for movies. <laughs> I have not enjoyed many. And the ones that I really thought were going to, you know, itch the scratch of like my nihilistic uh, need for uh, movies uh, during this time span have not itched the scratch that I wanted. Um, we will certainly talk about that more. As you just said, uh, itch the scratch. Not yeah, scratch I was thinking about itch. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scratch. Which, which <laughs> itch the scratch? Kind of like the chicken or the egg. Like what yeah. really came first? Um, I don't know, man. Because you can't really say like you're scratchy. You know, you're itchy. I mean, the itchy or scratchy show, like The Simpsons, <laughs> they like, kind of touched on that issue back in the '90s. Yeah, I don't think that's exactly the issue they're looking to resolve there. Isn't, no, that's like what the Simpsons always predict things. And, you know, when they were... They predicted this episode. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they were like three mediocre white guys are going to make a po- movie podcast in <laughs> 2020. And uh, we want to be there before they do it. So, um, good play to to Matt Groening and all them. So, uh, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll open it up now. Um, to our number five so we're ranking oh actually before that we are gonna list one or two movies that we have watched this year that we absolutely disliked um as the low blows there have been um several very mediocre movies released this year as they are every year to be expected um i'm gonna put it over to Corey first for one or two movies that he thought were absolute duds this year so far all right, so I, I have two. Um, one movie did get critically panned, and the other, a lot of people tended to like, but I just really didn't enjoy. Um, the first one is, is Irresistible. I'm not even sure you guys are aware of this movie. It was, uh, it's directed by John Stewart, who I'm a huge John Stewart fan. A uh, yeah, lot, lot of love for John Stewart. Like The Daily Show, when he was the host, was one of the best things on TV. And um, I read an interview with him recently. I still think he's a genius in every sense of the word. Uh, but this movie was terrible. Yeah, um, Carell in it. Yeah, Steve Carell and uh, Rose Byrne, who both are they're individually pretty good in it. Chris Cooper's in it, and um, um, a couple other people. But um, it's it's supposed to be like a political satire, but it really just has like no teeth. Like it doesn't really take a stance on anything. 
Um, and it just, it feels so out of touch with our current moment. Like um, it's trying to touch on, you know, getting big money out of politics and these sorts of things that, that do of course matter. And I know John Stewart has been passionate about, but in the context of a global pandemic and everything happening in the world, it just felt like such a, a superficial movie to, to, to come out with. Um, and the other film that I, I really didn't like um, is The King of Staten Island with Pete Davidson. Here's another one that I just felt like had no purpose, no meaning. Uh, it's, a, it's a Judd Apatow film. So you kind of expect it to, to, you know, to play out similar to some of his other ones. And in some ways it does because it focuses on, um, you know, to use Sam's phrase, a mediocre white guy who has to uh, sort of uh, come to terms with his, his own life and, and figure out what the fuck he wants to do in this world. Um, that was a funny journey when it was Seth Rogen and Steve Carell and, and Jonah Hill and some of the other guys. Um, but it's not really effective when it's Pete Davidson. Really just, just that guy just don't give a shit about him to be honest. And uh, no one, no one in the, the surrounding cast really does anything to elevate that movie. No one right for the throat on the first episode. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, yeah, just, I mean, it's a, we're my bottom two are two, two comedies, which I, I know yeah. we've talked about this in the past. I think all three of us have. But I'm just, I just kind of worry about the future of comedies, you know, beyond the year 2020. Like, I just, the comedy as a, as a genre really seems to be fading. And, and it doesn't really even seem like some of the bigger names in comedy, like Judd Apatow, are doing a lot to save it. <laughs> I mean, it, that's an interesting point because, I mean, like, let's look back. Like, in around, like, the 2000s, the comedy genre was completely dead. It was, like, just horny, horrible, like, college movies that were unfunny. And then, like, a movie like Superbad comes in, you know, funny that Judd Apatow is now being mentioned there, and it, it like, kind of revitalized and saved um, the comedy genre. And then for a span from, like, 2009 to, like, 2013, 2014, there was a lot of really funny comedies. But I do agree, um, a lot of bad comedies have been being made, and not a lot of comedies in general have been being made, it seems right. like. Yeah, I'll I'll say the one comedy that I think it, it yeah it came out last year I'm pretty sure that genuinely surprised me did not think it had any right being as good as it was <laughs> was uh was it Bad Boys? Good Boys, yeah, that good was boys. Good, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that I do agree with you there. Yeah, Bad Boys. I called Bad Boys again, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, good Boys. Uh, it was like South Park. It was like you're watching an episode of South Park. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it. It was like live action South Park. Yeah, yeah it, you made an interesting point though, there, Sam, that there just aren't a lot of comedies being made. I mean, like, uh, you just got me thinking because you brought up all those like sort of shitty, horny college movies. You know, I, I would, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, like the scary movie franchise or like epic movie and disaster movie and all those were like works of cinema. They obviously weren't great movies, but there's something there where I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking here, like, um, why is it that we've sort of gotten away from it? it used to be, I don't remember what it was, but I remember when the first Hunger Games came out, within two months, there was like this awful Hunger Games spoof that came out. Same thing happened to Twilight um, and a couple other franchises. Yeah, I think the I think the Hunger Games one is called the Starving Games. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I, to your point, that's kind of like a greater thing within pop culture. Like, remember YouTube and how parody songs ran YouTube for like 2010 to 2013. You're like, right. That's all like, you know, the Justin Bieber baby parody song like has like more views than the actual song. Like <laughs> it's it's just like, I think we all grew tired of just direct satire and they wanted more like 
nuanced satire, but like that, that I also don't think that might be the case for a lot of people that maybe that's just why I have strayed away from it. I definitely agree. I, I agree that it's definitely explained the sort of cultural shift, but um, it, I am just sort of disappointed. It feels like now every, every comedy that we make, we're a little, we're a little too fixated upon making it like quote unquote matter, you know, like Pete Davidson can't just be funny. He has to be funny. And also, um, you know, like well, he be trying to repair his relationship with his parents. And like, to be honest, Pete Davidson can't carry that kind of, um, that kind of emotion for me at least. So yeah. I, 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 and I think that's what I appreciate about a movie like Good Boys. Um, it, but I, I just when I just said that and I was like, is it Good Boys or Bad Boys? I just started saying, um, yeah, I mean that movie was like you said, an episode of South Park. It just it was willing just to make you laugh. So I didn't mean I didn't mean to make a call from this tangent, but interesting. <laughs> We're definitely it's an interesting sort of evolution. Of our, yeah, you know. Good, good. Um, Dane, do you want to go next with uh, one or two duds of this year so far? Yeah. So mine is a number uh, for my. I only did one, and. This movie was straight to Netflix, but unfortunately I spent an hour and 45 minutes watching it. Uh, and that's The Wrong Missy with David Spade. Um, <laughs> watched a like, Spade movie in 2020. Hey, hey. It, I watched it with some friends and <laughs> a lot of, them, like half of my friends were like, hey, that was really funny. That was really dirty and really funny. And I was just like, at best I went, Huh. I like breathed a little bit heavy, but uh, that was about it. It was just the wildest plot. At one point, the main actress falls off a cliff and like hits her head off of a tree branch and a rock, then lands at the bottom. And David Spade like yells down and is like, hey, like, you all right? And she responds and is like completely fine. It's just a movie that is so, so bizarre and just not good and wild it's almost it's so bad it was funny it basically is what it was uh but yeah that that was my that my number one for worst movie yeah speaking of bad comedies geez, i was just yeah. reading about that on my on my letterbox i can't believe i missed it, it really is it's just it was just like irreverent just like bad humor it, it yeah. just wasn't funny david spade is the kind of guy he he needs an adam sandler around you know, like yeah, I, he's not a man during this. Yeah, right. he, he was good in like sort of like when he had um, uh, what's his name in uh, in Tommy Boy. Uh, yeah, it's just it was just such a bizarre movie, and I part of me thinks that everyone who works on like an Adam Sandler or David Spade movie is just aggressively horny, because <laughs> there's a scene, uh, spoiler, there's a scene where they buy, uh. THC like weed toothpaste and they brush their teeth and then have a three-way it just what what person who gets high on an edible immediately wants to get in a three-way that's yeah it and then I don't know and then that's it, it basically doesn't go the way a three-way should go and I think I don't I can't remember if David Spade gets knocked out or the one of the two girls that were in the three-way got knocked out but it was it just it was not good in your opinion how should a three-way with david spade go <laughs> oh <laughs> good god i feel like if a three-way with david spade should at least consist of rob schneider and adam sandler 
those three. <laughs> it's got to be more. It's got to be an orgy at that yeah. point. You're going to include one. You got to. We just wrote Grown Ups three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming to Pornhub this fall. <laughs> I'll definitely watch that. Um, okay, cool. In in terms of my biggest dud of this year so far, mine would be. This probably is going to pain Corey to say this, but never, rarely, sometimes, always. I wanted to love this movie. It is, um, Dana, I assume you probably haven't watched this. It's a, it's a low budget. Um, I have not seen it, but I, I'm aware of the plot and like yeah. wrote it and directed. Yeah, so um, it's written, it's directed by Eliza Hitman, um, and it's just like, it's just sterile. Like you ever just watch a movie that like if people say is like, you know, slow, but has a lot of heart. I just like did not find it. I found it to be incredibly slow paced. I do. And like, granted, totally not the target market of it. Um, I just thought it played, played it really safe. I, it was, a, it was just like, one of those movies where you just see like, oh, this has like a really high rating from like film kids. And then you watch it and just completely don't understand if you watch the same movie as everyone else. Did uh, Charlie Kaufman, is that? No, 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 no. That's, that is, um, I'm thinking of ending things. That's okay. the other, uh, which like we will, verbose title of 2020. <laughs> yeah, which we will also get into. I feel like you'll be talking about that later. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely talk about that because there are definitely disagreements on that movie as well. Um, but yeah, that was that was my the movie I was most disappointed with this year because um, I really thought I was going to like it. And I just, it was very, very forgettable in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like passionately disagree with you. I mean, I, I definitely agree it played things a little safe for, you know, dealing with such an important topic. Uh, but sometimes I guess it's just nice that movies like that exist at all, you know, and it, I think it does, uh, carve out a lot of like intimacy with, with, um, its main, main character as well as, um, like, you know, her best friend who travels with her. Yeah. Her um, and just kind of like exposes a slice of life that you wouldn't otherwise see. But I agree. It's not a groundbreaking film. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those movies where you expect more and you just didn't get it. So, um, that was definitely my biggest dud of 2020 up until this point which takes us now to our top five movies of 2020. Um, so we're gonna go uh, listing our number fives, talking briefly about uh, what we liked about it and then opening it up to discussion, whether you have that also on your list or if you watched it and didn't like it, uh, we'll discuss that. Um, I will start and say, the, my fifth favorite movie of 2020 up until this point is Palm Springs, directed by Max Barbacow. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. I will preface this movie and say this movie would absolutely blow if uh, Andy Samberg wasn't the main character. I think it likes Staten Island, uh, King of Staten Island and how Corey disliked that movie because he doesn't give a fuck about Pete Davidson. I think if you don't like 
uh, Andy Samberg, you will not like this movie. Um, is it, it's a plot that's been done a lot. Um, there is a lot of things to not love about this movie. I think it's a little uh, corny at the end when it tries to get like this dramatic love story uh, involved. Um, but I will, I would be lying if I didn't say that I was thoroughly enjoying, enjoying, enjoyed, enthused, who knows, throughout this movie. Um, I thought it was funny at parts. There was definitely some really funny scenes like with JK Simmons and that whole storyline. Um, just an entertaining movie throughout. Um, will I forget about it in a year? Definitely. Um, but I would say it also came at a point when I really needed just like a dumb kind of distracting movie to watch. Um, and I think Palm Springs does that pretty well. So um, I think uh, it's definitely uh, an enjoyable movie for anyone that's looking for just a dumb movie uh, to take their mind off the current shit situation that we're all in. Yeah, I, yeah, it, I watched it too. I, I, I enjoyed it. I can't say I didn't enjoy this movie, you know, like, like you said, Andy Samberg brings like a certain just like joy and positive energy to it that definitely makes it fun to watch. Definitely makes it a nice, uh, nice way to spend like an hour and a half. I guess I just I just I didn't find it very funny. Um, like I found like a lot of the humor to be kind of cheap and easy. Uh, and I also like you said, I just thought the premise is, although it did offer a slightly different take on a pretty old premise, it still wasn't didn't feel fresh enough for me. Uh, I also remember, I remember thinking that a lot of the editing was just weirdly um, just like sloppy and just kind of all over the place. Uh, but that maybe that's to be expected when you're sort of jumping across different times and, and, and things like that. So you wanted a Christopher um, Nolan style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christopher Nolan thought he was doing something with Tenet. He didn't know that there was going to be a whole other uh, jumping in time movie earlier this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But cool. yeah I, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't say I don't recommend Palm Springs. I just, I certainly wouldn't call it a top five movie for me. Oh yeah. I mean, it also comes down to the fact that I've seen nine movies this year and I haven't loved, I only loved three. So yeah, I'm falling into the same boat as you Sam. Yeah. This makes it, but don't, don't think that in any other year, this would even remotely be in my top 20. Um, <laughs> just the fact that I don't, haven't enjoyed many movies outside of three i think that are very good here we are getting a comedy you know we're just talking about that getting like a true comedy yeah dana have you seen palm trains i have not um i kind of got the impression from people that it was just like eh, yeah yeah right it, it's very it was meh um to Corey's point like it was it was refreshing to see a comedy that i laughed at more than once so yeah um, i feel like the meh opinion has been a lot of movies well i shouldn't say a lot but a lot of streaming movies i guess this year is kind of saying, yeah all right and watch that yeah there's a there's just a tinge of like unfinishedness in a lot of the movies i've watched this year like a lot of movies have just seemed like they were kind of like well we're not going to be able to like really work on it during the pandemic like we should just get this out and yeah. i Palm Springs is definitely, to Corey's point about editing, like, it does feel very sloppy about, like, the last, like, 25% of the movie feels very thrown together. Um, yeah, yeah, one thing I will say for Palm Springs and all the movies we're about to talk about, um, that's kind of cool, I think, is that 
you know, one thing I do, I disagree with is that I, like you said, you think you'll forget this movie in a year. I think what's, what Palm Springs really has working in its favor is that I really don't think you're going to forget any movie you, that came out of this time. Like, like, that is an interesting, that is a good point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot, like, all of the sort of pop culture and the media that we've taken in, um, I feel like is, is like, distinctly tied to this pandemic. I mean, think about, like, Tiger King, obviously, like, starting off here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Tiger King was huge at the start of the pandemic. Palm Springs got a lot of attention, I feel like, because we were all sitting at home looking for something like that to watch. Um, you know, you know, we're going to get to uh, Tenet probably a little bit later, um, and that's one that, uh, you know, is very much tied to the, to the pandemic. So I just think, I think that's that is something that's kind of cool for all these movies is um, they're going to be very much of their time for, if for no other reason that they came out at the weirdest fucking time in our life. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Cool. To number five, let's go toward, to Dane. Okay, so don't make fun. But this movie, I actually, I did, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was amazing or anything like that, but it, I liked it a lot better than I thought it was going to, and actually it genuinely surprised me. And that is Sonic the Hedgehog, directed by Jeff Fowler. Um, I'm Sonic, a little ball of super energy in an extremely handsome package. On my planet, people were always after my powers. So I came to yours. It gets a little lonely, but that's okay. I am living my best life on Earth. Um, so first thing is when the first promos for the movie came out and Sonic looked like flaming shit, um, props to the team working on the film that they went in and remade the entire design for Sonic because that must have been an absurd amount of work. Um, but overall, I think... The biggest setback to the movie, it kind of plays on, on the like fish out of water type scenario. So basically, Sonic leaves his home planet and comes to Earth, and it's all about him adapting, which kind of falls into the uh, the trope in a lot of more kid-oriented movies where the character gets taken out of from wherever they're from, whether it be like a portal or some like rift in time or something like that. Um, but Ben Schwartz gives a really great perform, like voice performance. Ben Schwartz here. is hilarious. I, yeah. I, I want, I did want to see it for him alone, honestly. Yeah, and he he has so much enthusiasm in his voice, naturally like high higher pitched, fits the character really well. And as the movie progressed, I was genuinely like I was very surprised at how much I was actually enjoying it because it started to pull away from some of the like kid movie tropes um but yeah i overall like i enjoyed it i thought it was really funny oh i didn't even talk about why i love the movie so much jim carrey steals the show i thought he's so funny and just it's great to see him in a movie and anytime he was on screen your attention was on him some really funny physical humor I'm a sucker for that, but as my thoughts on Sonic the Hedgehog. Did either of you two see it? No, no you're making me want to want to see that because I I do love Jim Carrey. I'll, I'll always um, respect his work because I do think he's like like you just said he's one of the more physical um, and hilarious actors out there. Yeah. Um, and I really like Ben Schwartz. I don't know if you guys did you guys see Ben Schwartz's uh, 
improv special on Netflix. Fantastic. It's a pure genius, yeah. It's so the funny. Yes. Literally yeah. the funniest character in Parks and Rec. So like yeah. I'm always a big fan. Cool. And now to Corey who's gonna talk about like some Swedish film that no one's <laughs> ever heard of right after Sonic the Hedgehog. You give me too much credit. I'm uh I'm talking about uh probably one of the bigger releases uh this year uh and appropriately coming in at number five on my list is the five bloods uh the spike lee movie black gi is it fair to serve more than the white americans that sent you here nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on yeah i uh, i wouldn't be surprised if you guys bring this up um, a little bit on, on your own lists. Um, for me, I, I, it comes at number five. I really like this movie. Like I said, I think, um, like you guys said, you're not, you're kind of lukewarm on 2020 as a whole. Um, I really loved a lot of movies that I watched this year. Uh, I thought The Five Bloods, um, A, was a movie that came out like right when we needed it. You know, it, it couldn't have asked for, I mean, I had to use the phrase better timing because um, obviously the circumstances around it are, are you know, really, really um, tragic. But, um, when our country was dealing with a lot of racial division, we get a movie that is like very aggressively dealing with that because you know no director, to me, deals with um, some of these issues as aggressively and um, and as um, as and as in as a necessary aggression um, as Spike Lee, you know, who directed the movie. So um, that right off the bat, you know, set it up um, to be successful. It, I think it's become even more successful in hindsight, being uh, the last movie of Chadwick, or not the last movie of Chadwick Boseman's career, but the last one that, that came out while he was he was still with us. Um, so it's just a movie that's gained a lot of relevance just outside of itself. Uh, and as a movie itself, it really holds up as well. It does a lot of really cool things, switching between um, two different timelines and therefore two different sort of aesthetics as well, like the film grain uh, and, of, of the past and the more clear picture of the present. Um, and Delroy Lindo um, in that movie is just incredible. I really, really, really hope he gets a uh, um, award recognition because he gave what to me is still the best performance of the year. We'll talk about some other really good performances, I'm sure. But that to me was um, really is one of the one of the most incredible. It's really hard to make a uh, a Trump supporter look sympathetic um, in any media, and I'd be very skeptical of a Trump supporter depicted in any form of media. Uh, but somehow Spike Lee actually pulls that off. I mean, Deborah Lindo pulls it off with a really well written, uh, well performed character. Um, but I won't go off on it too much because I'm sure you guys. Yeah. I want to talk about it again a little bit yeah i think i think goes without saying but defy bloods is on all three of our lists um i will be talking about it in the future but certainly agree with uh all the points made i think um lots uh, spike lee just has an insatiable ability to make prophetic movies and he does it again um with defy bloods um so um that will be our five movies so we are now on to our fourth favorite movie of 2020, and mine is The Invisible Man by Leigh Whannell. Uh, As the attorney representing Adrian's trust, I'm required to read a prepared statement. Cecilia, although our relationship was far from perfect, I thought that you would talk to me rather than run away. Are you okay? Open the door! I think this is just, it's a very fun um, uh, horror thriller. 
Um, I'm also a huge sucker for like horror movies that are from the perspective of someone that's not being listened to. Um, so like a, a lot of the first half of the movie is setting up her, her like um, uh, Elizabeth Moss's character, like dissension into like sort of madness. Um, and I think it touches on, uh, but doesn't go enough into um, like an interesting, the interesting dynamics of like a toxic relationship and like gaslighting that goes on in that. Um, this movie, um, like a lot of the movies I've watched this year, um, got close, but didn't really get over the hump that I wanted it to, to be like a great movie. I think there was moments of brilliance in this movie, um, specifically like the dinner scene with her and her sister or her and her friend, I forget what. That was one of the best moments of cinema I've seen this year. Um, I think it was beautifully shot. Um, there are certainly pitfalls of it. I think Elizabeth Moss's character is actually very one-noted. Um, you don't really learn much about anyone. And it's kind of hard to get emotionally invested in a movie where you don't know characters' motivations outside of like very simple, like this is an abusive ex that's trying to keep his ex-girlfriend in his life, and this is the ex that's trying to escape it. Um, I would have liked there to be more nuance and more discussion about um, the characters, but overall, um, just as um, Palm Spring was, was entertaining for a comedic reason, I think The Invisible Man is um, entertaining for a thriller reason. I think it's well done and a pretty entertaining movie through and through. Did you see that in theaters or on demand? I That was the first movie I watched on demand. Um, so that was around the time when it was like, is this going to, I remember it, it did horrible in box. Everyone was looking at the box office and they were like, oh my God, like this movie did terrible um, because it was around the line uh, in like late February, early March, um, mid-March where it was just like, do you go to the movies to see this anymore? Um, I think that movie suffered a lot from not being on the big screen. I think a lot of people that are watching that maybe on their computer will just see it as, it, it, it just does not have the plot to bring it through. But if you have like a good um, system to watch it on, it's beautiful and really, uh, really exciting. So, so I'll, I'll just chime in real quick. Invisible Man is on my list. Um, I did get to see it in theaters. I saw it the weekend it came out in a semi-crowded theater. Um, Damn dang. So that was like, I think like two weeks before everything went AWOL. Um, but I'll talk about that whenever we get to my, wherever that's at on my list. Cool. Corey, yeah. did you watch Invisible Man? Yeah, I, I watched it at home and I do wish this is one that I got to see in, in theaters. Maybe that would change my opinion of it a little bit. It, this is actually I've actually watched it twice um, at home, and I really liked it when I first saw it. Um, and I and by no means would I what I call it a bad movie. I think it's in some ways it's a really good movie. Um, but there's just something about it that I, I don't love as much when I when I um, when I I, did, I didn't love as much when I came around to it a second time. And even now when I think back on, it, I like it a little bit less. Um, I think there's a couple things. I think the script is a little weak. Like it it feels very written, you know, like you, you can, um, any sort of the, any of the themes or the sort of plot points that feel significant are very explicitly said by the characters. That's one of my biggest pet peeves in the script is when um, you can just feel them trying to tell you 
exactly what's happening or exactly what you should be thinking about. Um, but that being said, Elizabeth Moss, great actress. Um, she's an amazing performance. But I also even then had one slight issue where, um, I don't know if you guys saw Upgrade. It was uh, Lee Winnell's, uh, I know Dane's scene that we talked yeah. about. Um, that's his first movie. Upgrade to me, one of the lesser talked about movies of the last um, five years, honestly, like great, great sci-fi movie that sort of set a lot of the rules that it, this movie does where the camera kind of follows the character and pans around. And um, it, it clearly is like Lee Winnell's sort of thing at this point. Um, but what I thought was so good about Upgrade is that Logan Marshall Green, the main actor, really gave like a physical performance that really sold a lot of those, those quick pans and, um, and just the, the premise of the movie really well. Elizabeth Moss, for as great of an actress as she is, um, like facially and like delivery of her lines, I felt like her physicality, like having to like roll around on the floor fighting an invisible guy, like almost seemed kind of corny and laughable at times. Uh, if, you, if you buy into it, you know, it's, it's great. But um, I guess I'm just, a, I'm a skeptic. And so I just took a step back and just kind of watched her flailing on the floor and felt that it looked a little ridiculous. But um, still, again, a, a movie that is effective in a lot of ways, um, definitely keeps on the edge of your seat. Um, like you said, that scene with her sister is one of the best I've seen this year. Um, and I also, I'll, I'll wrap it up here, but I want to briefly mention that um, Aldous Hodge, who plays the, the, uh, the cop that, that she lives with in that movie, um, gives a really good performance. And he's a guy that I only recently discovered, but I started watching him in a couple other movies. Um, and, and he's an actor to keep on. I thought he was really good in this. Well, that takes us now to fourth movie for Dane. Uh, so my movie, I believe this was like the first major movie that came out strictly on demand, and that's Onward. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. <gasps> no way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard. What? Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back? Like, back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. Um, I really liked Onward. I thought it was a very fun uh, emotional like emotional roller coaster for the most part. And I really liked the relationship with the, with the two brothers. Chris Pratt is hilarious. Tom Holland does another great voice performance. And it was fun watching because it kind of, it was like you were watching an episode of D&D &D at times with very, uh, the I can't remember Chris Pratt's character's name, but he's obsessed with a, uh, a board game that reminded me of like a D&D type style game. Uh, I thought a lot of the, the character designs were really cool. Overall, I, I thought it was a really funny movie and um, I agree. I thought the voice acting was excellent in Onward. The, the world and the premise was really unique, really cool. Part of me almost felt like it w I wish it did a little bit more with it, but I guess that you can always sort of make that complaint. I don't know if that's yeah, what I'm yeah. going to say. I, I, I kind of, I agree with that too, in the sense of they, a lot of times went to very enclosed spaces. Yeah. Like, there's the scene in the restaurant. There's a lot of scenes in the house, a lot of scenes in the van, gas station. Gas station, yeah. And I was just like, I understand the, like, why this is here. Like, you're trying to make it seem like our world, but with fantasy elements. I do, I do wish that they would have shown a little bit more of the, the world, I guess. Um, I think that's a good point. Yeah, it is the indoor locations that kind of do it because it makes it feel smaller. When with Pixar movies and especially a world like this, you kind of want it to feel like bigger and more epic. 
Um, the one thing I will say on it though is that I thought the ending of this movie was was incredible. I mean, like it was probably the most mature, and I say mature, like uh, most mature ending uh, that a Pixar movie has had. And I, the reason I use that word is because the decision to not give the viewers or, or even the main character the emotional payoff. Hey guys, I had to edit out this part because we spoiled the rest of the movie. If you want to know more about why we like the ending, you can ask us at our social medias or at the podcast's Twitter or Instagram. Say anything. But anyway, it, it makes a very emotional makes for a very emotional scene at the end of the movie. And I'm ultimately very impressed and very glad that they chose the direction that they did, that they diverted expectations. On to the fourth favorite movie for Corey now. Yeah, this is one that um, I feel like no one has seen, um, but I really encourage people to, to seek it out. I really enjoyed it. Um, the movie's Emma. Dearly beloved friends, we gather here. Achoo! In this time of man's great innocence. Innocence? Innocence. Which is um, a, uh, it's an adaptation of a, of a Jane Austen novel. Um, there was an adaptation of this, of this book back in like the 90s with Gwyneth Paltrow. And I remember I had to watch it for school once and I, I really hated it. Um, so I was very skeptical of, of this movie. Um, it's directed by Autumn DeWilde, who I'm not necessarily familiar with um, outside of this film. Has nothing um, else besides an HBO documentary. Right, yeah. So, um, but it, it's, a, it's a really cool film, really colorful, um, really well acted. Anya Taylor-Joy is one of my um, favorite actresses right now. Um, she, uh, she, to me, um, is just like, a, she's a young actress that has been in a lot of really cool movies. Um, and I think has, has a bright future in front of her. She's really, really good in this one. Um, and it's sort of, the movie sort of participates in this tradition. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, um, that I've seen a lot of movies lately where they're sort of, it's like, it's like if you're going to, these movies that depict a historical moment um, or a historical era, but do it sort of tongue in cheek. Um, you know, like The Favorite kind of did that, I think, a couple years ago. Um, I haven't watched it, but it's that show Dickinson on Apple TV with Haley Steinfeld where they mm -hmm. kind of do that. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of other other Little examples. Little Women almost does that at some time, sometimes throughout. What'd you say? Little Women, the adaptation of Little Women does yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like just the yeah, this like this acknowledgement that yes, we're setting our our film back then, but we know that it's being acted out today, and so we're kind of like playing with that. Oh, the other one is um, The Great, which is a uh, series on Hulu, yeah. does that as well, um, and it's really kind of effective. It makes the movies a lot sharper, a lot funnier. Um, and that's why I, I really enjoyed Emma way more than I ever would have imagined. Interesting. I, uh, yeah, can't say that from watching the trailers that I had any interest in watching this, but that's interesting to know um, that you enjoyed it so much. Um, cool. So we're now to our third favorite movie, and I am going to touch on a movie that has already been talked about, but my third favorite movie of 2020 so far was To Five Bloods. Um, I think this movie um, is fantastic for a lot of reasons, and I think it is also almost equally parts infuriating for Spike Lee reasons, uh, <laughs> as it was great. Um, I have made it very well known for people who don't know my opinion on it. I am not the biggest Spike Lee fan. Um, I think his movies can 
I think he gets away with a lot of movies being very unpolished and poorly edited. Um, and I think he doesn't get um, ripped on as much as I think he probably should. And I think this movie has a lot of scenes that are just plainly don't need to be included. Um, specifically, I think the love interest um, dynamics in this movie are not needed at all. I think they're kind of a cheap way to, just a cheap way to add like emotion to the movie outside of like it being a war movie. Um, that aside, um, I think this is one of Spike Lee's best movies though. Um, the, the mixture of like uh, imperialism with it being a war movie, with it being a heist movie, um, I think it, it creates a really satisfying end. And like we've already talked about, um, Delroy Lindo is amazing in this movie. There's no other way to put it. He, he gives the best performance of this year by any actor. Um, the end, his end monologue and um, the flashback scenes, um, something that Corey hasn't talked about that I will. Um, I love the idea to not de-age the actors in the flashback. I think that is a really interesting um, perspective. It, there's barely any makeup even done to make them look younger. So it's kind of like you can see them now as they were then. Um, and there's, it, it's a really interesting and it's against the grain in like current um, cinema with, you know, like the Irishman spending millions of dollars to de-age everyone and how, you know, people really wanted, um, they always de-age actors for flashbacks, but this chooses to do it that way. And um, finally, I think Spike Lee does this more than most uh, directors, but I love the use of um, putting a still image over cast talking. Like when they're talking about like um, famous black war veterans and they're doing like this still image of the war veterans they're talking about adds like a very uh amazing historical weight to the conversations they're having um which i love and i love the change of aspect ratios between um the current times and the end time and like the uh war flashback memories it goes from like a modern day aspect ratio to more like uh apocalypse now aspect ratio which um really interesting um in general just a great movie um through and through and especially because of delroy lindo yeah going back to what you said about like the still images uh basically with a lot of spikely movies but i felt this especially with the five bloods is it's like you're watching parts of a documentary but wrapped into a fictional narrative like it, it's sometimes hard uh, for example like when the uh the vietnamese woman is speaking and she's talking about kind of like black history with the vietnam war and she's talking right into the camera mm. it it's interesting because at first i was i thought that it, her the speech was pulled from an actual like radio broadcast in Vietnam. And then obviously it spikely, it becomes much more rightfully so aggressive and directed at the, at the viewer. And it's, it's like such a interesting dy dynamic where it blends fiction and nonfiction so well, I feel like, especially with the five bloods. 
Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think he, um, yeah, it's, like I agree. Documentary is a good word word for it. Uh, another thing I was, another comparison I was thinking of, it's almost like he's telling a story, but like writing an essay too, you know, like yeah. it almost reminds that's, me yeah, of the great. sort of video essays you'd see on YouTube. Like um, he's not afraid to just make his movies everything at once. And I agree that that can lead to some of the criticisms that you had for it, Sam, where they just feel sort of sloppy. Um, but I think that kind of sloppiness um, is, again, sometimes warranted um, in, in sort of hammering home these, these points uh, that, that are so important. So um, I agree with what you guys said about it. Cool. Now to Dane for his third favorite movie of 2020. My number three is Birds of Prey, directed by Kathy Yan. Uh, you know what a harlequin is? A harlequin's role is to serve. It's nothing without a master. No one gives two shits who we are beyond that. Uh, I actually saw Birds of Prey with Corey. And when I w- we walked out, I should say, preface it with going into the theater, I was expecting the worst, obviously with Suicide Squad and the whole mess, at least at the time of what the DCEU was, and then came out of the movie thinking it's probably one of the best DCEU movies they've made. I kind of brought like a style it was like Deadpool on acid is kind of what I thought because I love that (laughs) Harley Quinn she talks to herself throughout the movie she talks to the audience she talks to herself as a character she talks to characters that don't know that they're being talked to it's such an interesting thing it's narrated very much like Deadpool uh but this movie is much more colorful and the soundtrack's fun. Uh, one thing that I was super impressed with was one, Margot Robbie's performance, but also the fact that she did a very large percentage of this of the stunts in this movie on her own. There's the clip of her fighting in the prison scene, and it's truly really awesome to see some of the stuff that she does. Uh, some other highlights. Um, Ewan McGregor, I thought was so, so good as Black Mask. He was just goofy and just a super charismatic character. Uh, and not a likable villain, but one that you can kind of laugh at. So, and all around, like the cast was great. Um, the fight choreography I thought was, was pretty well done. The one scene in the like circus tent, it's a long continuous shot and is overall pretty pleasing, pretty pleasing to watch. Uh, so yeah. I agree. I, I, I had the exact same low expectations going in. Um, and I even while watching it wanted to dislike it, but I literally couldn't. I, I really, really enjoyed the movie. Like you said, the colors um, were, were, were awesome, really in line with Harley Quinn as a character and the Birds of Prey more, more broadly. For, um, for me, like you said, though, it really is about the, the performances. Um, like, uh, Margot Robbie's great, Ewan McGregor's great, Chris Messina's great, um, as Victor Zaz, he kind of plays yeah. like a Black Mask sort of henchman. Um, and the rest of, the, of, of women are, are really good as well. Um, I tend to be sort of skeptical of those movies that, are, that 
that are like breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. um, just because I feel like sometimes they can use that almost as like as a cop-out. Yeah. But again, this one used it really effectively. It's jumping all over the place. Um, and yet um, it's doing it not so much in service of just like a cheap laugh, but in actually creating like a more compelling story yeah. and sort of creating these mysteries that you're, you're trying to solve throughout. Um, I thought it was really effective and really well done. One uh, joke that I loved in the movie was I think it's Harley is sitting on her couch and she's eating something. Then underneath it gives a bunch of character traits. And like the first thing that pops up is voted for Bernie. Yeah. I remember and then that. later on in the movie, the same thing happens, but it says doesn't pay her taxes. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's so something, it was so simple. It was just like text on TV on the, on the screen. And it was so amusing. <laughs> yeah. It's good. And to think that Bernie exists in the DC universe, that yeah, has some exactly. huge implications. Raises some serious implications for things. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Um, so now we are to the Corey Stillman's third favorite movie of 2020. Yeah, this is one that uh, I wish we, we could talk more about, but it's really hard to discuss without um, spoiling uh, almost everything about it. Um, but it's Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Uh, one of these bullets is like us, traveling forwards through time. The other one's going backwards. Can you tell which is which? How about now? This is, to me, um, you know, it may only be in third place, but I, I do want to say this is a movie that I, I really, really love. I, I think it's getting um, a lot of mixed reception for a lot of different reasons. It's coming out of obviously a very weird time. It's not going to ever reach the audience that it probably would have liked to reach. Um, but I found it to be a really fun, really awesome, really explosive movie. Uh, it, I also think it does a lot of really interesting things. I think people are sort of, a lot of people I think are getting sort of tired of the Christopher Nolan shtick, you know, of messing with his audience, confusing them, blowing their minds with these crazy twists. I'm going to sort of like upping the ante yet with every movie that he does. Uh, and there's definitely room for criticism there. You know, I, he's not a, a perfect director. Um, but he's always an exciting one, and he's always an ambitious one. Um, and Tenet, is, again, is, is no exception. Um, I also think it, it's really actually not as confusing of a movie as people are giving it credit for. It definitely is a shocking movie, and one you're going to be thinking about and probably trying to you know piece together some of the smaller aspects. But if you really just kind of submit to its sort of absurdity, um, it has some really amazing um, surprises in store. Uh, and it's one that um, I know going back to the theater right now isn't necessarily for everyone, especially depending on where you are in the world or what your um, your current you know, health situation is. But um, if you can safely return to movie theater right now, uh, Tenet is is um, absolutely worth your time and money. I'll make it known that Corey Silverman said, "Everyone go to the theater right <laughs> now, no masks." Allowed. You know, that's unf- I think I worded that literally as respectfully as possible, and you still find it. <laughs> <That was> very, <laughs> very, very Corey, where would Tenet rank? on your Christopher, Christopher Nolan movies? It's funny you should ask. I actually literally just wasted my, some time earlier today it's ranking all my Nolan movies. <laughs> I actually have it, believe it or not, um, I have it at number four, number which four. is pretty high. It's pretty high. Uh, Let me you, try and guess your top three. Okay. Dunkirk? Believe it or not, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, never mind then. Yeah. All right, so number one is Memento. No full oh. on the fucking movie draft. If you're drafting Dunkirk, it's not even in... I mean, I, no, see, it was the only was, movie that came out. That, that's, that's besides the point. I was going to guess Memento, The Dark Knight, 
and and Dunkirk. Those are my those are my three. You got you got two of the three. It's a Memento, uh, the Prestige, oh, and the Dark Knight, and then and then Tenet. I forgot about it. I I still have to watch the Prestige. That's actually the only Nolan movie that I'm like, damn, I I really have to watch that. I think Memento and the Prestige are his two like masterpieces. We are now to our second favorite movie of 2020. And for me, surprisingly, I picked a documentary and I picked Boys State. Some people say they're a sports junkie. I say I'm a politics junkie. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. I'm playing this like a game. I would like very much to win. I love it, boys. I love it. Where are you from? I come from a very modest family. Uh, I'm on the course to be the first one to graduate from high school. I'm a progressive person. And I'm in a room full of mostly conservative people. Um, I wow, I loved this movie. Uh, I watched it last night, um, and I was shocked by how much I liked it. I think it is a, a very infuriating movie. Um, just a brief like perspective on it, Dane. It's essentially. Did you ever watch Jesus Camp? I I watched the trailer, but I've not seen. I've not seen Jesus Camp, but. Okay. I also have an understanding of what, like, that program is, actually. Yeah, yep. I've never done it, but... I hope not. <laughs> I've, I've, like... My uncle... It's come up before in, like, conversations. So. Your uncle did it, Sam? It, which is the least shot. If you met my uncle for literally five minutes, I feel I feel like now I'll be able to, like, spot, like, boomers and be like, yeah, you definitely did voice. <laughs> It's it's essentially like Jesus Camp, but make it MAGA. It is like a very very conservative um, seven day summer camp, where essentially it's like Lord of the Flies style. Like two groups of six hundred boys create like a plat a party platform. It's the Federalists and the Nationalists. They create a party platform, and they run for positions and they have debates and. It is um, one of the most intriguing things I've ever watched. I couldn't stop watching. It is infuriating for how, um, especially for the parts about abortion and women's rights was just absolutely infuriating to hear, you know, sniveling rich 17 year old white boys scream about, you know, how women shouldn't be able to kill babies. It was really hard to sit through, but if it, didn't give you an amazing microcosm for American politics right now. It, it, it finally gave me, not obviously the complete answer, but the start of an answer of like, how did the Republican Party get to where it is now? And, it, and you watch something like Boys State and you're like, well, it seems actually very likely that um, they got to where they are. Um, I think it uh, like Corey will have some criticism because I've read his letterbox review for the. <laughs> um, I actually think I'm I'm very like sick of letterbox in general. I think the community is really fucking annoying. But like, that I people wanted the movie to be like, come out and be like, see like fuck these guys like fuck them to hell like you know socialist or die and I'm like that's really not the point of the documentary like that's not. Like, I don't think documentaries have to make that point. Like, it's really up to the interpretation of the viewers. And people want a sp certain sp perspective spoon-fed to them. And I'm like, it, it gives a very unsatisfying end. And maybe it is a little too neoliberal at the end. Um, 
I think that's certainly a, a legitimate criticism, but um, I was pretty moved by it. I, th I thought it was really, really interesting and just a fantastic uh, documentary. Yeah, I was going to ask, did it stay like neutral? Throughout uh, yeah. the it's, it's left leaning completely. Like, I don't think that goes without saying like it makes it makes the sniveling rich white Republican kids look dumb. Like the, the like Corey, like um, the guy who wins the election at the end, like the presidential, the fake presidential election, they equate him to like a Ben Shapiro type. Yeah. And like, they make him look dumb um, for the most part. Which I, I, I don't know if you read. There's actually, it's pretty interesting. There's a kid on Letterboxd who wrote yeah, a review. Best, best review I've ever read. One of the yeah. guys from who was at that boy's state was like, yeah. One thing I didn't like about this movie is that they made the person who won look like he just white privilege lucked into it. Yeah, but he's like, everyone loved him. He was so charismatic and amazing and blah, blah, yeah. Um Interesting. Can I can I now shit on this movie real quick? A little yeah, bit? of course. Of course. <laughs> um yeah i mean I, I was super excited to watch this movie the premise is like so my alley like the exact kind of documentary i would get really fired up about um and, and really um like i thought it, was, it would end up in my in my top five it just to me it um and i know I, I hear what you're saying about not feeling like documentaries need to take a certain stance but every documentary inevitably does take a certain stance and then this one's stance was like a kind of let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya Dude, I don't um, think that though. Yeah, like, see, I think it. I, I think don't it definitely. That. Don't get me wrong. It definitely wants you to look at these guys um, who think they have any say in abortion to look at them and think, "Wow, what a bunch of fucking idiots." Uh, yeah. But it also wants you to to sort of think about, um, you know, you know, well, like 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 the one kid who is like, an absolute ass in every way, but he admits that he's actually pro-choice. Um, you know, yeah, you know, the dot the W the W type. Right, and when we're supposed to movie. feel some sort of sympathy for this guy, um, and on the other hand, the like the few left-leaning individuals that are there are just immediately willing to sell out all their ideals um, for the sake of political gain, which yes, of course, is a microcosm for our broader, yeah. uh, you know, political... like people are mad at the system and they're taking their anger out on the system on the movie. No, but I, I and and I agree. Like I, I think in some ways the movie is effective because it does kind of showcase the flaws of our system and how young that's being ingrained in people, it, it's really scary. But it, to me, it's a movie, and this happens with a lot of documentaries. This is why I find documentary making very fascinating, but probably very difficult to do, is it's a movie that falls in love too much with its subject. It starts out really strong. You know, it's, you have, you're, you're looking at these guys at, at this, this crazy thing called Boy State, um, and it does a really good job of showcasing the pageantry and the ridiculousness of it all. But by the end, you can tell that these documentary makers kind of just embedded themselves maybe a little too deeply within it. And they got a little too invested in who's going to win, who's not going to win. Uh, you know, um, what are they talking about? What are they not talking about? And, and forgot to continue to critique and to continue to um, sort of shed light on some of the problem areas of this, this whole sham of, a, of, a, of an event. Uh, and again, I think it just it got a little too up its own ass for that exact reason. Dude, they're seventeen-year-old teenage boys. Of course, it's gonna be a little too emotional and a little too, like, and it maybe it like, dude, I don't know. Like, I I literally cried at the at the end part when the uh, uh whatever his name is, the Hispanic, his mom. 
yeah when he calls his mom like that to me was a very emotionally poignant moment and like yeah i guess i just i wasn't looking for that i was looking like to me it started out i know it felt like like really comedy in line with it felt like it was almost like a nathan for you type you know what i mean it's a it's dane it's like a legitimately ridiculous fucking thing like it's it's really absurd and there was so much room for comedy and it just chooses to sort of seek out what, drama what, and emotions. Which streaming service is this on? It's, it's on Apple TV, which is, Apple I don't TV. recommend. It's such a bad streaming service, but you could probably find it on that. Okay. I, I think I have a seven-day free trial, so maybe okay. I'll watch it, and then next week, I'll be the deciding factor. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. We, Corey and I could debate this for hours, but yeah. So that was my second favorite movie of the 2020 so far. Uh, on to Dane. All right. My second favorite movie was one that's been said. Um, and that is Invisible Man. My experience was much different. I shouldn't say much different, but <laughs> Sam's. <laughs> I saw the movie. Uh, I I saw it in theaters um, with with an audience, which was pretty cool. I personally was like, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. A lot of the like, camera movements and the cinematography, I really enjoyed. I thought there some, were some pretty. Uh, terrifying jump scares and yep. just scares in general at times um i really enjoyed the concept of it being almost uh science fiction like uh futuristic where his invisible suit came from i thought that was that was cool uh, that was cool and the suit with all the cameras on it uh the scene like we talked about with the sister like jaw dropped like speechless holy shit um but i i will say after listening to you to talk i've seen it twice now and similar with you Corey, i saw the second time and i still really enjoyed it like i did like it but it was hard much harder to keep my attention and here i am shitting on my number two movie (laughs) but (laughs) I mean, yeah, I um, love this shit on my but, too. <laughs> no, but I, I definitely, I definitely see that. Like, there isn't necessarily too strong of an emotional connection to the characters that, upon watching it without the anticipation of watching a horror movie, that you're just not going to be really involved with it. So, like, you're you go into it looking for the scares. You watch it a second time. You know the scares are coming. And there's not too much emotion to be connected with it, but yeah. whenever, a summary of it. yeah, I that's spot on. Even even without that, though, I think from a horror standpoint and a suspense suspense standpoint, it it nailed it. I thought it was a terrifying movie. Uh, I do think they probably could have gone into more of like the um, being trapped in a relationship type thing. They kind of just scratched the surface of that. Um, but the anxiety was still there. And you, as the viewer, were always like, where is this guy? What, what's he doing? And a few small details that I really liked is a few times the camera, uh, the shot would be like from behind a hall, like a, the corner of a hallway or from in a doorway or it, the slightly off-centered. So two characters talking were on the left side of the screen and there was a blank space on the right. So a lot of the visuals really made it appear as though in a lot of shots, he was always there. Mm. Like he was always in the background. Or um, I know there was one shot where two, char- two characters are talking 
and they're off-centered. And in the background, there's just like a chair. And whenever I was watching it, especially the second time, I was like, oh, he could totally just be sitting there watching them. Or, and that, just the the anxiety and the, the constant like thinking, oh, where is he? Where is he? Um, I, I loved. And my, my last note, um, Oh, I shouldn't say my, so I love the ending. I thought there was a lot of closure there. I do think I wish uh, there was a little bit where she was like, oh, I'm not actually a nut. And I wasn't crazy. And in your face, I'm not crazy uh, to more people. But, um, uh, cool. and I had something else to say and I forgot, forgot what it was. So if I remember, I'll come back to it. <laughs> well, on to Corey for his number two movie of 2020 so far. Yeah, this is one that, um, again, I, I think it would have gotten so much more attention, so much love if this was just a normal year. Um, but I had a weird release because of everything going on. Uh, and it's it's First Cow from Kelly Riker. Uh, What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born. And then my father died. I never stopped moving. Uh, I'm going to flex for a second here. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to see this back in 2019 uh, at the Telluride Film Festival when it premiered. Um, so I did get to see it in a theater. I guess I lied. I saw, I've seen two out of my five in the theater. Uh, but First Cow never got the theater release that it deserved and said it ended up um, on video on demand. Um, but this is an A24 film. You know, A24 films have been dominating our, our sort of conversations for years, but they, they kind of got a raw deal in 2020 because they're, they're very much dependent, I feel like, upon um, the theater experience, uh, but still, First Cow, uh, A24 film uh, that, that I highly recommend. Uh, it's it's a period piece, but it does some cool things where it sort of ties it to present day. Kelly Reichert makes movies that are almost like laser focused on environmental issues, uh, and you really don't see a lot of that, uh, but we probably should be seeing a lot more of that considering the state of our planet. Uh, so her movies are always very important uh, and just very sort of like warm and, and fun and relatable. Uh, in a very quiet sort of way. They're not flashy. They're very understated. Uh, and, and First Cow is all those things. First Cow is also, if, if you're familiar with her movies, you probably wouldn't think of her as necessarily comedic or funny. First Cow is hilarious. For whatever reason, the chemistry between its two lead actors is just so strong. Their banter is so funny and it leads to a lot of really clever, unique moments. I don't even want to say too much about it because it's a very unique premise, unique story. Um, but I highly recommend it. I hope we got, we, the three of us can talk about it in future weeks if you guys get a chance to see it. Cool. Definitely will do. Dan and I, Dan and I were joking around uh, before this and we were like, Corey's definitely going to have first cow in, which we both definitely. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm super excited. I was going to ask you to give like a little summary, but then you said you didn't really want to get the anything away about it. And now with what you just said, and it being your number two, I definitely want to watch it without watching the trailer, without knowing anything about it. So yeah, I think I think it's it's that kind of movie. It's worth it. All right. Yeah, I I read the letterboxed um bio of it and was like, I still have no fucking clue what this <laughs> is about. So um, definitely sounds like a, a, an intriguing pick, and also leads me to believe that both Corey and I have the same number one, which nice transition by me and my number one movie of 2020 is Bad Education by Corey Finley. Please join me in welcoming to the stage our district superintendent and my friend, Frank Tassel. 
in Long Island. The town is only as good as its public schools. The better the school system, the higher the price tag on the homes. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. Up until this point, I don't think any of these movies would have even cracked my top 15 or 10 uh, for last year of 2019. I think Bad Education is one of the best movies I've seen in the past three years, three or four years. I it. It is, it is, it's one of my favorite type of movies, which is just the movie that is just like anyone can like. Literally, like you you show this to any single person, um, any family member, and they will enjoy this. Like a cynical grandpa will think this is a very entertaining movie. Like a, a sister who doesn't, you know like many movies, would love this movie. Like, it is just, it is very approachable, is insanely easy to watch. It, it's one of those movies where you're like, wait, I finished it? Like, that felt like it was 20 minutes. Um, it is, Alice and Janney and Hugh Jackman are amazing in it. The acting is phenomenal. And it's just like, so tight. Like, it's just like, it keeps going. There's no wasted moments. Um, it. I really hope it breeds like a renaissance into cinema of just like really smart, like approachable storylines. It's like just a brief synopsis of it. It's about a superintendent that has led a upstate Long Island, New York um, school district to be one of the best in the country. And it turns out that he, along with another person on the uh, administrative board have been embezzling money in a huge Ponzi scheme for years. Um, and it's about it being uncovered. Um, my second cousin is in the movie. Uh, Alex, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize. I was just waiting for you to, to bring that up. Yeah, I didn't even realize until I was watching it that Alex Wolf is in the movie, which I thought was pretty fun. And it's it's no home bias. He doesn't play a huge part in the movie. <laughs> but um, he's kind of a little shit in the movie, actually. <laughs> he's kind of a fucking asshole, isn't he, in it? But I, I'm trying to think. There is there are just several standout scenes. Um, I Corey can talk about some of them, but um, there's a scene where he is talking. Uh, this little boy can't pronounce accelerate correctly, and it is one of the best monologues I've heard in like so, several years. And it's just like Hugh Jackman goes from a very likable, charismatic figure, and you just slowly see his degradation into being an asshole. Um, I also love, there's a final like climax scene that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil, but they're playing a Moby song, which I absolutely love. Um, and I thought that was a really, really good moment in the um, gay nightclub, Corey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That part was really, really good. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just nothing to not like about this movie. Fantastic from start to finish and, and definitely, definitely by far uh, my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, how, how funny would it be if after all that I was like, actually, it's not also my number one. <laughs> uh, no, it, it is also my number one movie of the year. So we, I, we'll, we'll just do Corey's number one then too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just then we'll, we'll wrap up our discussion on this movie. It, um, yeah, I, it's fantastic. I don't know, did, you, did either of you guys see Thorbreds, which is Corey Finley's first movie? No, I didn't. Um, definitely, I think if you enjoyed this, you'll really enjoy that as well. That's a, it's like a coming of age movie. That's kind of like, um, it almost reminds me of Heather's. If you guys have seen that movie from the eighties, it's it's a little, it's like a dark coming of age movie. I just bring that up because um, I was so excited for this movie for so long because I loved his first movie so much. He 
does this really cool thing almost now that I think about it, almost kind of like what we talk about with Lee Winnell in, with Upgrade and Invisible Man, except he's out here making, you know, like these more, you know, like they're just traditional dramas where he's just really good at, at a, putting his camera within a space and just kind of gliding all over the place in ways that just sort of transform these otherwise very uninteresting spaces. I mean, most of this movie takes place within your average American high school, and yet it feels like, the, and it, not even then, it takes place within just like the front office of that high school. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like the most dynamic, exciting, insane place you could ever be in the entire world because there's just so much drama um, and so much movement and so much uh, just like kinetic energy happening within this otherwise very small space. Uh, if, if Delroy Lindo didn't give the best performance of the year, I think Hugh Jackman did. He's, so he's definitely a close second. He's fantastic in this movie. Like you said, Allison Janney's really good as well. And it's just like an important story. It's a true story. Uh, and it's, it's one that um, we should all probably be paying attention to anytime, you know, first of all, we all got to love movies about rich people getting uh, their asses kicked. Um, <laughs> but in, this is one that also, again, paints um, like a complicated portrait of, of um, Hugh Jackman's character um, in ways that, uh, you know, Sam kind of alluded to, but I think are worth sort of discovering on your own. Um, and again, yeah, like just, you know, anytime we're talking about uh, the the issues of capitalism, you know, um, you're going to get me excited. Uh, and this is one that does that in really um, important and hilarious and dynamic ways. Yeah. yeah, just a fantastic movie. Yeah, I watched the trailer whenever it came out. I've not seen it. Um, I don't have HBO. But I'm working on that. Uh, and just seeing one like Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, they're both incredible. And his Hugh Jackman with like the slick back hair, yes. like, he he looks like a douchebag. Just <laughs> what I got to see. So I'm super excited to watch that. Yeah. You guys both have me sold. It's a good day. Yeah, I'm gonna watch Sonic the Hedgehog. You're gonna watch Bad Education. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan. Favorite movie of 2020 so far. All right. So mine is is fresh off uh, fresh off the eyes. I just watched it. Um, and that's the five bloods. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And the only other Spike Lee movie I've seen is Black Klansman. So I'm not super, I know some of the, uh, camera tricks and stuff that he does, but other than that, I'm, I'm pretty fresh with Spike Lee. Um, but the, my first initial reaction just in like the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, I got like it was weird i got like a very like nostalgic cathartic feeling for some reason and i think it was just them that the first scene with everyone together it was it seemed like a reunion almost mm -hmm. and you really had no concept as, as to what all the relationships were and it was really awesome just to see that unfold and i think the writing for all the characters with just their dynamics with each other, um, whether one person is more humorous than another, or whatever. Like I thought, I thought it all worked really well. Um, but I got for some reason Stand by Me vibes because it very much is like these guys are all coming back together after this experience that connected them for life whenever they were young. Now they're coming back and essentially not re-experiencing it, but in a sense, reliving, reliving it to um, go find their, their friend that had passed away in 
the war in Vietnam. And the concept of them going on a almost, well, going on an adventure to find the the remains of their friend, of their fallen soldier and, and friend. Uh, another thing, it was just super emotional to watch Chadwick Boseman be in that movie, uh, especially the role that he plays in the movie. Um, and then you guys talked about Delroy Lindo. He, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, so, so good. Like, I sympathize with him so much and just every little facial expression, everything, just you could tell that he was in so much pain. And the relationship that he has with his son, um, Dave, and that also is just such a rewarding uh, relationship in the movie. And I think it has to do a lot with like uh, um, Paul, who is Delroy Lindo's character, mm-hmm. kind of seeing Norm in his son. And, and Norm, Norm is the uh, the brother, the um, soldier they had lost in, yeah, in um, in Vietnam when they were there. But overall, like I love this movie, and I thought that the like intense imagery, whether it be when like one uh, uh, a Vietnam citizen was talking about like the horrible things that Americans did, like shooting babies and children and burning. And, the everything the jungle all this everything and he does the thing where he puts a still image of a a dead child during the war up and one thing that just really like grabbed me right off the bat was the first two minutes of this movie just the montage of the the war scenes and just everything going on during the uh 60s around the vietnam war uh so yeah i really really enjoyed it yeah yeah one thing you just you just made me think of too is how much it it is tackling like it's like you said like you said it, it is a movie like i know i feel like i talked about it and i think about it a lot of the movie about race which it obviously is um but the fact that it is also a movie about like the horrors of the vietnam war um and it manages to, to incorporate all that it's a movie about i mean he i, I don't remember exactly when the movie it comes but i remember there's a there's a still image relating to the Boston massacre. You know, so he, he's like, you know, he's going back to like the 1700s here and like really trying to paint this really complicated yet comprehensive sort of narrative of like racial injustice, but also just injustice in general, like like worldwide. And it's it's a really ambitious movie and it somehow pulls it off. Definitely. And that's where I think like compared to Black Klansman, this movie, uh, I wrote some notes down while I was watching it and it's just, um he pulls so many social issues into this movie and for me at least they it pulled it off uh for the most like he's talking directly to the viewer anytime like he, he talks about something uh in the movie and i think um the uh like we talked about the war scenes and then going back to the uh the changing perspectives. I thought that was really cool too. Um, but yeah, ultimately I thought like this movie was like about understanding. And I thought that was them going to back to Vietnam 
and hearing from descendants of people that were killed uh, in Vietnam, um, it was just, it really was just such a engaging movie with so many different themes. And I thought that he pulled it off very well. So uh, those were our five favorite movies each uh, for 2020. Um, looking forward to the rest of the year as well as movies in the future. Are there any movies right now that are on your radar that you think will be in that top five uh, or any movies that you think uh, going forward that are uh, exciting you uh, in particular? Um, we all start and say, I am very excited for the French Dispatch. Um, that is uh, Wes Anderson's new movie, um, star-studded cast. Uh, I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson live-action fan. Uh, I more prefer um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, but I did love Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest, and this gives a very similar vibe. Um, I'm excited for that. Um, in terms of any other movies, Dune looks exciting, but that's 2021, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so. I'm I'm looking forward to Nomadland. Oh yeah, is that is that this year? Yeah, that that's yeah, that looks. I'm excited about yeah. that too. December. Have, I, I totally forgot about that. That's getting really good reviews from the Toronto Film Festival. Festival. That's uh, Francis McDermott's new uh, new movie, uh, which looks fantastic. Yeah. I'm super excited to see what comes from because uh, I think it's Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Um, yeah. This movie, it sounds like it's going to be great. Um, the Rider was supposedly really good. I never got around to watching it. And then she's directing Marvel's Eternals, or she has directed it. Um, so I think she's going to be a, a pretty big name. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, what's weird about 2020 is it's like you don't even know what we can and cannot look forward to depending on you know, what ends up, uh, you know, just how the rest of the year goes. But yeah. one movie that um, we never got, kind of like the French, because I believe the French Dispatch was going to be out in, like, July or something, right? Under normal yeah, circumstances. It was a summer release. Yeah, so another another one that I'm excited for, um, being the A24 fan that I am, is uh, The Green Knight. That was going to be um, David Lowry, mm-hmm. who's one of my favorite directors. He did A Ghost Story, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, um, as well as uh, The Old Man and the Gun was, a, was an underrated movie that he did. Um, and he was at, at a, uh, adapting Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, which I remember reading in high school. Uh, it's like some, you know, it's obviously some like male English kind of, you know, poem. But uh, I'm really excited about that. He has Dev Patel in the lead role. He's a really underrated actor. Yeah. Speaking of Dev Patel, another movie I do want, also want to see that's out right now is uh, The Personal History of David Copperfield. That's yeah. directed by Armando Iannucci, who wrote Veep, uh, wrote and created Veep, which is one of my favorite shows on TV. So those are two I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Cool. Exciting movies. Um, just like we are, movies are persisting and trying to get through uh, the crazy time that we're in. How cute. That was fantastic. What a great little <laughs> that was. We're all fucked, aren't we? I feel uh, like that's something like your mom writes you on a note and puts in your lunchbox. It's like one of those sorority girl like Instagram story things like she persisted just like movies did. <laughs> well, Corey and uh, Dane, it was uh, a great talking to you. Um, hopefully this breeds uh, new podcasts and new fun topics uh, in terms of movies um, for people that have listened 
to an hour and a half plus of us rambling about movies. Uh, we have a couple um, fun new ideas for podcasts in terms of like movie drafts, movie debates, power rankings of directors, um, deep dives into specific movies um, that we're hoping to get out uh, on a weekly basis uh, or semi-weekly basis. Um, so thank you guys for listening and uh, don't hate us for making a movie podcast.